You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind. And I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and people about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by the Breathe Culture Pledge, a community of like-minded SMEs who are committed to building and maintaining a people-first culture. Whether you've got your company culture nailed or need a little guidance to improve it, joining the Breathe Culture Pledge gives you the recognition and resources you need to help your culture flourish. Plus, it's 100% free. Join over 700 SMEs and invest in your people today. Head over to breathehr.com forward slash culture pledge to find out more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. It's been a few months since our previous seasons, so if you do need a refresher or if you're new here, don't forget that we have eight other seasons that you can still enjoy. As always, each season has a different theme, just to bring something new and interesting to the table and ensure that we keep things as relevant as possible on this podcast. For this season, our theme is Workplace Liberation uncovering the many ways in which we can free ourselves from the way work is to the way work can be. In this season, I'll be joined by a range of guests who have their expertise in one way or another in transforming the way we work. My hope is in this season that you will take something away, as always, to play with, to practice with, or to liberate the way you're doing things at work, whether that's on an individual basis or even within your organisation. To kick off the season in this episode, I'm joined by Rob Baker. Rob is a specialist in bringing positive psychology to life within organisations. He is the founder and chief positive deviant of Tailored Thinking, a pioneering evidence-based positive psychology, well-being and HR consultancy who were named the UK's HR Consultancy of the Year 2020 by the CIPD. Rob is a TEDx speaker, author of Personalisation at Work and Chartered Fellow of the CIPD and the Australian HR Institute. He is world leading when it comes to enabling and encouraging job crafting and personalised people experience. And his work, ideas and research has been presented at academic and professional conferences around the globe. I am so honoured to have Rob join us on this season. His work is truly inspirational and just listening to him, I know that you are all going to take so much from this conversation. So let's really kick this season off in style. Hi, Rob, and welcome to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. Hi, thanks very much for having me. And um, also have to thank you as well for actually taking some time out after coming back off holiday straight into podcasting. I mean, if there's a a way just to dive straight, straight in after your holiday, this is the way to do it. So I'm really grateful that you've um, found some time for me after your holiday. Oh, not at all. You're in my fresh take. It'd be interesting, actually, to see whether my kind of response to your question is shaped by the fact that I've <laughs> not, not been thinking my work day in, day out for the last two and a half weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I've been, um, but it's always exciting to talk about these kind of things. Yeah. So, uh, Mate, definitely a pleasure. 
Sure. Maybe I'll get some more philosophical answers out of you today then. <laughs> Who knows? That's how I'm interested. I don't know myself, so we'll find out. Um, so one thing I really wanted to talk to you to, about today, um, Rob, is job crafting. So some people might never have heard of this term. They might think, what on earth is this? So can you introduce us to what this is? Yeah, sure. Um, so job crafting is the kind of a technical academic term for a process of really personalising our work. So it's around making small changes to how we act, interact and think about our jobs to make it more in service of us as individuals. So right, we're all one thing that we all have in common as humans is that we're all unique, we're all different. And often when it comes to workplaces, we kind of give people the same jobs and ask people to do things in the same way. And we don't tap into our individual differences, our individual strengths, our individual um, talents and job crafting encourages us um, to think about and find small ways for us to shape our jobs to kind of lean into the things that we're, we're good at and like and maybe dial down the things that we, we, we don't like. So that's kind of job crafting in a, in a nutshell. It's around personalising personalizing our approach to work. Which just sounds so incredible because like you mentioned there, we do have a tendency to put ourselves in these boxes and it feels very um, disjointed sometimes with our own identity. And we're kind of following these labels and these um, titles that feel very kind of different to maybe who we are. And actually, like you said, uh, crafting it in this way really encompasses us in such a holistic whole self approach I absolutely love it what kind of got you into this realm really yeah so I I've, I've been someone who's always been fascinated about kind of psychology and work and what what enables people to do their kind of best work uh, in individual level team level and organizational level and part of my kind of exploration of this included a uh, studying for a master's in positive psychology when I was in, in Australia and part of the module that we had around a concept called positive organizational scholarship which is all around great organizations great kind of teams was saying what are some of the things that, that um, differentiates people so one of the concepts that people, people will explore was saying that when people tend to report positive outcomes from a well-being perspective from a from a performance perspective from a career mobility perspective is when people felt there was a good fit between the jobs and the work they were doing and them themselves as an individual which were kind of made made complete sense to me so I remember they kind of we we're, were learning about this and that the job fit that kind of makes sense I was ticking that and then we came on to this idea of saying and there's things that people can actively do to kind of make that fit a better fit for them called job crafting and I'd never I'd never heard of this concept before so I was literally kind of kind of I remember leaning forward in my seat in the lecture in the lecture theater going this is just um amazing um and it was something, again, I recognised in myself. And often when we talk about job crafting, people kind of recognise elements of it. They've done it before, maybe seen other people doing it, but they didn't know it was a thing. They didn't do it deliberately. Um, they, weren't, they weren't doing it um, by design. They just kind of did it by accident or by because that's who they were. And so we, Gavin Slemp, the, the lecturer who introduced job crafting, showed that there had been, at that time, over 100 peer-reviewed academic papers about this concept and I'd never heard and I was someone who's worked in the HR profession and I'd tried to be evidence-based I'd never heard this idea before um, and since then we've got a, it's seven or eight years since then there's been over 160 peer-reviewed papers about this so it's one of the kind of it's so the, the, the research behind this is so compelling 
but we just didn't 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 know about it. And so what I did kind of pretty much as soon as I heard about this concept, I was like, right, I want to play with this, I want to explore it. So I didn't give anyone um I didn't ask permission to do this, but in my lunch hours I started designing workshops for I was working at the University of Melbourne at the time for colleagues to come along and to kind of saying, I think my workshop was, do you want to make your work better or workshop around making your work better? And I had literally a one session, kind of a rocket scientist, an extra cleaner, an extra technician, all just all talking about how they can make their work better. Um, and that was to see whether I could kind of, A, kind of whether it was really kind of um, relevance about job crafting in, the university context, the one I was operating in, and also are there ways that you can encourage people to do more of it? Because that was something that the research would, had not not kind of progressed as much upon. It was like saying job crafting is generally good when it happens, but there'd been less kind of thought or research at that time about making it kind of happen. So I was kind of curious about whether I could kind of um, do something there. And, and basically I've never stopped since then. So that was um nearly 10 years ago now and i've been kind of pretty much um investigating exploring and encouraging and cheerleading people to craft um since since then i absolutely love that and i think it's so relevant for the time that we're sat in now when people are you know there's this big kind of great resignation going on and the quiet quitting that's kind of come out recently there's all of these things where people are kind of like I'm so bored at work and we were just dissatisfied unfulfilled and you know we've, we've spent two years the past two years of our lives you know we've had that massive moment of reflection where so many people have kind of gone is this really what I want to do and there's lots of career moving so it just couldn't be more relevant you're so right, Lizzie. And the research and the, the, the research and the quiet quitting is great. I had I only came across it relatively recently, I think, in a couple of articles, but I kind of like that. But again, it's one of those things that you kind of recognize in yourself or colleagues was like I've given like I'm now kind of I've I'm I've I've lowered down the tone, turned things down a little bit in terms of my effort and in, input. And often when I, I talk about job crafting within organizations, I get people to think about light bulbs above people's heads, you know, so if you think when you join an organization for the first time, you're quite excited, your light bulb's pretty fully lit, it's kind of bright and you're excited. And then some some organizations, you, you your listeners might have kind of been this, I've certainly worked in some, where over time your light bulb just gets a little bit dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until it's kind of blinkering and kind of like flickering a little bit. And I think this idea of um, kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of, stopping kind of working kind of internally a little bit quite quite quitting is around your light bulbs just kind of not not on but but what, what i find with job crafting the way i describe it to leaders is saying job crafting is something you can do to try and get everyone to turn their own light bulb on and so it's not but it's also driven by the individuals you're not telling someone to do it. you're not forcing them to do it but it's an invitation to say how can you make your work better yes. yeah and that's the whole point isn't it it's that invitation to bring so much more of yourself into work because we do have this very depleted mindset of oh when I go into work these are only the parts of me that come with me even though you know there's so many um, skills and, and things that I can do and so many facets of me that I could bring into the workplace and I mean that's one thing that I really embraced when I started Liberty Mind because there were so many things I could put my skills towards, you know, creating a podcast, writing content and facilitating sessions. Like I've never felt more fulfilled in being able to do the things that I love and I enjoy and I can kind of add to. So it's fascinating to really try and think, get people to think about this really, you know, whole self approach. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, it's not, 
I think the way you've done it, and I really admire the work you've done, Liberty Mind. I think it's fantastic. But you don't need to set up your own company to give yourself that permission. I think what we should be doing in every organization, you talked about boxes, is saying, how can we tap in to invite people to bring a bit more of themselves to the workplace? Because we know there's benefits to it. If people share experiences, if people feel that they're not wearing a mask, they can be their, their, their authentic selves, then then everyone wins because the employees more engage. Colleagues probably benefit from those skills that they have. Um, and I think one of the things that job crafting often isn't thought about, but I think it has got a piece of the puzzle when it comes to looking at inclusion or belonging or a diversity and inclusion agenda. You wouldn't often, you wouldn't necessarily think job crafting is the answer, but job crafting is actually an active invitation for people to say, how can you make your job a bit more you? How can you lean into that strength and your kind of individuality? And often when it comes to organizations, unfortunately, and I've been part of the problem in HR, is that we treat, often we treat kind of um, heterogeneity, we treat diversity as a bit of a threat. Like we don't, if, oh, someone else is different, therefore we're gonna have to do something different. It's, it's much easier if everyone's the same. Like, yeah. um, and uh, and I think we've, we've got in the habit in the past of designing work and encouraging people to think about work in boxes in kind of like in uniform ways. And that's, we know that that's just not working. That's not flying in the current environment and we need to do something differently. And I think job crafting invites people to think differently about their work, how they structure work, but also, as you were saying, invites people to be, to bring whole selves yeah. to, to to play at work exactly. and like you say you know um because people you know friends often say to me oh you're so lucky that you run your own business i mean don't get me wrong there are caveats to running your own business <laughs> as you know rob um you know elizabeth elizabeth gilbert always says there's a shit sandwich to every job um, which is so true but it is and i think it's really hard especially for people that have maybe been in the same role for a long period of time um or maybe you know they've got stuck in being in certain positions and you know I have friends who've been somewhere and they're 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 so integrated into the company they don't really want to leave but then they're feeling quite unfulfilled and they'll maybe start doing a bit of a side hustle because in order to almost you know scratch that itch they need to do something else so they kind of create a side hustle you know get a lot of these kitchen table um kind of you know Etsy crafters going on because again it's like how can I fulfill this need that I have when we could also bring that into the workplace oh yeah so much so so absolutely I I think often we think about so when I'm introducing job crafting for the first time one of the things I say in terms of what is we know that people aren't fully engaged at kind of work and the you've already mentioned about the great kind of resignation or great reflection there's been a couple of things that have um kind of research saying what are people why is this happening and number one, so often people, when they're saying they're leaving work or think about leaving work is pay, which is understandable. But number two was around fulfillment. And number three was around being a sense of belonging in terms of what they're doing. And that's been two recent surveys that I've seen come through that. And job crafting and kind of that personalization applies to those, 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 those kind of two elements. But the reason I think it just people are craving for that, and you've, you've mentioned it with your, some of your friends, is that we put people in boxes, right? So we kind of, this is your job. This is your defined job. This is your box. Don't, you can't play out of that box. Or people don't feel they can play out of that box. They kind of, they're the box. So the only way someone can bring innovation to that role or kind of shape it or make it more engaging is by jumping out of that box. So that means either you have your side hustle, so you're doing your, you're adding to it, so you're doing those first time, or you can jump out of the box completely and go into a new box um, or a new job. 
But actually, and so for an organizational perspective, they're lo- potentially losing someone in that way because they, if they're going to go to another job, they feel that the only way they can get that new challenge or opportunity is by, by going to a new role. But job crafting or this mindset around personalization is saying, well, why can't we just make that your box a bit kind of better fit for you as an individual? So rather than people feeling that there is something missing, it's around saying, well, what can I do to, to shape it, to, to improve it? And I think we we get so, so kind of just familiar with doing work in the same way into the expectations of ourselves and, and the manager's expectation of us. We don't often have the invitation to think about what can we do differently? How can we make our job better? And I was running a workshop session with someone recently and someone had been there for an organization for, for 10 years and it was an innovative, positive organization. And they're saying it's the first time I've ever been explicitly asked, how could you make your job better? And they, they'd had conversations about performance, development, how they're doing, all these kind of things, but never like just the question of going, what can we you do? And what can we do to make your existing job even better? And they'd just never, they'd never been on their horizon. And I think we all of us need to have those the permission to have that 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 question um, given to us and to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because the amount of things that people are maybe holding back on um, in their workplace environment because they feel like they don't have that permission, in quotes, to, yeah. to offer up a suggestion or to change the way things are being done. Um, it's just such a brilliant, brilliant way of kind of opening up this this way of working. Yeah, and everyone, if you ask them, everyone's got a list, right? Everyone knows what they can do. Like, so that, and that's the thing as well. People get scared of asking the question because I was saying, well, what happens if I can't do it? Yeah. Well, my perspective, it doesn't kind of, it'd be great if you can, but it doesn't matter because those people are thinking about it anyway. And you're better off understanding your colleague and having an understanding and a compassionate conversation with them or interesting conversation about what could we do. And if you're working in marketing or working in sales and you don't like doing updating your customer management system like well that's just tough like chances are they're not going to be able to change that but but there might be other things in your job that you can change that that actually with a bit of time and a bit of encouragement that's available to you and i think just yeah we avoid i don't know why we tend to avoid those conversations because we're a bit worried about the answers we're going to get <laughs> and, I think, and it's it's i don't know why well do you know what do you what's your thoughts why why do we avoid those those conversations why do we avoid those conversations oh my gosh where do we even start <laughs> i mean there's so much i think so many people have different workplace experiences as well there's mm. huge varieties in um you know, the power dynamics that goes on in the workplace, yeah. that has huge influence on how people feel that they can sort of step forward and answer those questions. Um, you know, even down to the levels of psychological safety in the workplace, you know, is it safe for me to have this conversation um, yeah. with my colleagues and and that kind of thing? It's, there are so many, yeah, um, I would say undercurrents going on in order for us to yes. have these yeah quite bold conversations and it's it's I think it's still something that's a new way of working isn't it you know this co-creation idea we're we're so used to that very top-down hierarchical told what we do just get on and do your job um and now we're kind of stepping into this realm of new ways of working and being a lot more agile and co-creative that it takes a massive mindset shift more than anything to kind of work in this way yeah, it I think it I think it's really interesting. I love the idea of undercurrents. I haven't thought about that. And different level, there'll be 
as you all know, sometimes that can change quite dramatically and have negative big impact. So that's kind of really, really interesting. And also it reminds me, think makes you think about an organizationally with the scene undercurrents, you can be in the same kind of bit of um uh water, right relatively close to each other, and the undercurrents can be very different. And that again probably be people's lived experience at work in terms of your manager or leadership. Some teams might be really positive and thriving, others might be toxic. And you kind of see that sometimes yeah. as well. And that's really interesting. So I love that. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's all those subcultures that happen. Like you say, it's, you know, within a yeah. very large organization, a lot of the time what you have is there can be very empowering, um, you know, supportive coaching type leadership in some teams where yeah. they have a very great amount of safety in order to, you know, challenge each other and have really good conversations and deep and meaningful conversations about their work. Um, and then you've got other teams that are still in this very, you know, I mean, it's, they're so mixed. It's like, you know, someone should create a map yeah. where there's like all these different subcultures that goes on because honestly, it, it's so crazy the amount of different subcultures that can emerge in a much larger organisation. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I definitely think there's, there's, there is those informal kind of hierarchies. And often when people say, when does job crafting not work for me? And the only time that I've, I would say that it kind of, there is, definitely not i would advise against it is when there isn't the the genuine permission and encouragement to be able to to kind of to to experiment with the job to about agile to, to be to be more iterative in terms of how you're doing so some i have i have to my cost kind of work with some organizations they said we think this is a good thing go and do it but the team hasn't been ready or the management hasn't been supportive of it and actually people have been more frustrated in those circumstances because they're saying with one hand you're saying do this and with the other one being you know told not to do it either explicitly or passively aggressively within the workplace to, to do it and actually people feel worse in those circumstances because you're getting those kind of mixed messages so that that kind of authentic kind of commitment to it is something that's important and that's the one thing that i look for because in terms of job crafting often people say you know who's this for what organizations and i've done it and i've studied it with um kind of cabin crews to CEOs to banking sector to cleaning you know so there isn't it's really agnostic in terms of a concept but it is you do need a genuine um commitment to allowing people to experiment it doesn't it's not a big budget I talk about five minutes a day or an hour a week but if you haven't got that if you're in a subculture as you're saying where that's going to be um not allowed or hijacked in some way, so that could could certainly cause a problem. Something to be certainly something to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what's the. I think for you and I both in this is in this area that we work within is really trying to get these organisations to stop seeing it as another tick box exercise to yes. encourage engagement. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. right, every six months or we're going to do this thing and we're going to you know put on and I think that's the really hard thing is. I, I'm sure you're the same, but it's you have to have such a um, deep discovery call with potential clients because you really need to get under the skin to know, okay, are you doing this because there's real motivation to do something that's going to have good impact? Or are you just doing it to kind of like, you know, tick the box again, try and turn that survey around that's dipped down again <laughs> recently? <laughs> oh, so that's a really interesting reflection. I think it's a real challenge that we have as consultants working in the space and with organizations as well in the fact that often the way to 
to to bring geography. I often say you bring it to life. So in terms of actually, how does this idea permeate? And it doesn't have to be called job crafting. I don't mind, but the idea of the idea of bringing personalizing work and, and encouraging people to make their work better actively, which is what I badge as job crafting. Um, so it's how do you bring it to life? And often people say, how do you do this? And they want my kind of like 10 step approach to doing it. And I can do that, but I know that the most effective way of making it stick is by co is by co-creating and by understanding where people are with an organization and meeting them where they are and aligning it with the things that they're doing well already as well. So it's like often, you know, if you've got a check-ins that are working really well, then that's a great point to, to kind of add it to. But if your check-ins aren't working very well, adding this conversation to it is probably not going to help or, or running workshops when everyone is, if everyone is saying they're desperate, they're tired and overstretched and haven't got capacity having a separate workshop we're saying how can you make work better people are like well the way you can make better is by not running this <laughs> workshop and giving them more time like so you just there is often i think as consultants we get given the kind of like tell us the art you know, give us the 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 roadmap or the structure and you can do it and part of me kind of like is always i don't know how you you deal with this part of me is like well i have got it but i'd be much rather create the the journey with you but but if we do that, we've got to be a bit more open to the fact that we don't know exactly the terrain we're going to navigate or what it's going to look like. And it's probably going to cost you more time, probably financially, but also in terms of energy and time and exploration to, to do that. And and not everyone is in the position to to, to do that either. <laughs> you know, that, and that's a challenge. And so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting. Well, do you find that yourself in terms of people that, that managing that balance between saying, wanting the kind of clear roadmap versus trying to co-create something with with organizations yeah absolutely and I think because it's one of those things where they really want the answers but the answers are within the group already um and you know as the coach because you have the experience of what worked and what hasn't worked or you know those kind of things there they lean on they try to lean on you too much sometimes in order to give them the answers and Mm. it's really important like you say you know yes there, there's a way of doing it definitely and there's there's areas that I could go through but we don't know like you say you know things can change things can come up that gets in the way and we go oh hang on a minute you know we didn't realize that we need to have a conversation about this because you know this has yeah. all of a sudden come up and actually it's going to get get in the way of us moving forward um and that agile approach is really difficult for businesses to to yeah. you know mentally prepare for because they are so used to that default business plan this is our three month you know six month year goal and even with a pandemic where everything got blown out of the water catastrophically they're still going we need a a year's plan just know that things are just so movable and consistently changing it's it's really hard to shift people's mindset in that go with the change it's comfort, isn't it? I think it's, I think it's mindset but it's not again I think it's often to blame people to say like this is um this is the kind of your fault for not having that mind change if only you change your mindset then I think we often again from a human centered approach we forget that people have just got into deep oh, grooves yeah. like I was talking something about grooves and like it's really really hard to jump out of that if your needle could go for your record and it keeps going out we just it's just really smooth and easy and you know what's what how it works to get someone to then to, to change that where we're, we're kind of not having that framework. We're saying we need to be more iterative, we need to be more agile, we need to be more flexible. 
when it comes to work from my perspective we need to kind of allow people to kind of draw around the edges to get around people just aren't they're uncomfortable with that and i think we can blame people for saying well you should just be comfortable but if that's all they know and that's how they've been trained and that's the mindset that's been given to us it's it's totally kind of understandable and i suppose it's our job to kind of coach and encourage them to say what's the you know yeah. what's the how can we create a new group yeah. you know what, what and what's the best way of doing it yeah absolutely that makes you think of like that emperor's got a new group like i can yeah. i can think of some really quirky things now i've got groove groove coming into the mix but it is it's true it's you know i often say you know really my role is to be a pathfinder for you to kind of help you find those paths nice. of of where to go next because it is so easy and we do it all the time in our lives you know we we go for the easy thing the thing that we've always done but the easy mm-hmm. choice isn't isn't the best choice um and that's just what we kind of tend to get wrapped up in yeah i think that absolutely i think that's really helpful and so one of the ways i i have attempted to kind of change this a little bit or challenge it a little bit or make it more palatable to people is to, to do things as experiments so often when i'm introducing job crafting to people saying Look, rather than assuming this is going to work or not going to work for you, let's let's actually run some experiments with you. Because if you run experiments, often it's like it's fixed, it's time time bound, and then you can you collect some data and then you can make a decision. So you're not often we feel that we need to make a decision now for the forever. Yeah. And I think that's an often organizationally we often do that. It comes back to your your twelve month, you know, thirty six month roadmap. We're going to feel we need to do this for everyone, or we need to do, you know do it now. Was actually an experimental approach says. Well, let's just let's just see and then we can either dial it rewind it or dial it up like or dial it down based on the, the findings so when i'm working with organizations for the first time i often say let's do a kind of cultural fit for job crafting to um see whether people like it and can, can see whether people can do it through workshops and then also collect evidence of the types of things people do within that organizational context when they craft their jobs because it's not the same for everyone so some teams will do and some organizations will find different ways to craft their jobs um, than others and often it's the things that bring when they talk about bringing job crafting into life it's around sharing those stories it's around giving examples of saying this is how someone in the x team did did this and like oh okay i can i can do that i can hold my beer i can get better you know I can do something better than that so it's around finding ways to to kind of get kicking those stories so i often encourage people to think about when i'm looking for these experiments to test it with three different groups so i look at who are going to be the potential cheerleaders who are going to get it often the hr teams are those or the marketing for some reason they're kind of the people who kind of seem to be more creative and bought into it so they're probably going to get it so we'll run some sessions with them we'll run some with some skeptics so it's who are the people who are kind of tending to be a bit skeptical and challenging about this and often it tends to be it teams or Legal terms, I don't know why, yeah. but it just tends to be like compliance focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or and then what's a what's a group we don't know? So it's who's a who's a set of a, some colleagues and we just don't know who the answer is going to be. And I find those really helpful. A to kind of collect some evidence and data to kind of whether it's successful. And I'm, I'm ne- I mean, again, it's really important we don't say it's a panacea, but I've not come across a group that haven't been out of craft with the with the right kind of framework. Um, an encouragement to, to do it and um, but also we kind of collect those those stories and and also it's even more powerful organizationally if you can say wow have you convinced the it team well they're saying if the it saying this is a good thing 
then blimey, everyone should like will will think this is a good thing, you know. So that can be really helpful, but it's a bit scary as well. Um, and the first time I did it, I was like, oh, is this a good thing? Am I making life more difficult for myself here in terms of in terms of this approach, rather than giving them their twelve point flat? Yeah. I, find that, I find that for me, kind of such a useful exercise in terms of collecting data collecting kind of evidence that is working but also then when it comes to the next stage of saying how can you do more of this you've also got some groups of people you can call upon to help get bring their ideas because if they're saying do you find this useful well, my next question is how could we do more of it and this is and that's again can be really 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 simple stuff but it, if you haven't got those experiences if you're doing things in isolation, it's really, really hard to get to that data. Yeah, definitely. That is such great insight, Robin. I love the way you've said, you know, to to experiment because that is something that can easily, you know, come up with organisations is it feels like they have to commit to some really big, lengthy project and it can feel really overwhelming yeah. and they're wondering who's going to get involved. But coming at that kind of in, innovative approach of, well, let's play with this first and, and then yeah. see what happens. Yeah. You know, it's it kind of puts everyone else at ease that there's not so much pressure on it. Yes. And I think also it can be really helpful for those, um, for people who are trying to convince pe- leaders to kind of do something that maybe is outside their comfort zone that you've talked about beforehand. If you say you put that badger experiment around it, it's more likely to be, can tactically, <laughs> it can be helpful in terms of getting their, their, their buy-in. Um, and I find this experimental mindset helps when it comes to job crafting as well, because I often encourage people to think about not, you can say to someone, how do you think you can make your job better? But you you may not be right, right? We don't you know, we don't know until we try. So often I encourage people to think about running an experiment. So if I was to do a session with someone and people doing the, listening to this call, excuse me, <clears throat> can be, can, can do this myself instead of saying, if I was to invite you to make your job better next week for the next week, and I gave you a budget of five minutes a day or an hour a week. What's an experiment you could run? What's something you can you can do and just and just reflect on that? Um, and I find that again quite helpful rather than people feeling again that playful mentality rather than it being another thing to do. I've got a job craft as well as doing everything else. It's like, well, no, let's run this as an experiment and see if it works well. And sometimes you'll be surprised. So I've I've run sessions with people where they've done something um what recently someone said um i want to stop we're doing too much work in the evenings um and so what i'm going to do is i'm not going to check my email now from the from the evening i'm going to have a really clear position and logically it makes complete sense it works really well but what actually happened for that person was that because they got so used to come back to this idea of a groove i suppose that we've talked about i say grooved that they got really anxious about kind of kind of not checking emails and they and they didn't manage it well and they did get overburdened and it kind of got so they realized that that was actually too big a step for them. Although it's maybe where they want to get to, it was like much healthier for them to have clear lines of saying Mondays and Fridays, I don't do it. Like, that's fine. And then I pick up Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm not advocating people do their email in the evenings if that doesn't work for them. But what that person found was that if they, they, they were too ambitious, their experiment actually went in a different direction than they thought. And I think that often... If you don't have that experimental mindset, you would be like, I'm, that didn't work. I tried to stop doing my emails in the evening and that didn't work. But if you're curious about it, if you do it kind of actively, then you can you can learn and adjust and um, 
and be more agile and more iterative as you as you talked yeah, about. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, you've given us so much wisdom and insight. This is such a juicy episode, and I know that the people listening will be probably hopefully taking feverishly lots of notes about everything that you've shared, um, because this is such a another just great great way of working differently and approaching work in a in a whole new light I mean yeah so I'm gonna make sure that obviously all of your your details are in the show notes but I thought I'd add a bit of fun into this um season so I've got a quick fire round if you're up for it Rob (laughs) yeah do it let's do it so the first question is song or playlist that makes you feel instantly feel good oh okay so I don't know the name of the song, but there's a band called Scream in Maldini, who was based in Sheffield. And although those, the name of the song is Always Summer Sometimes. And it was, um, I I discovered it because uh, it was a trailer to a film about to a film festival. And um, whenever I put it on, I still remember watching the film for the first time. And I get kind of like um, uh, the hairs in the back of my neck kind of, stayed on it and it always switches my mind and I always get frustrated by the fact that it changes my mindset how vulnerable I am to, to, to music as a human <laughs> being but I love it I love it and um, so, so so song for me yeah oh I'll have to find that one I'm gonna have to search that yeah. out on Spotify thanks for that Rob a book or podcast that changed your life oh wow um so Oh, this isn't very quick fire. Please, sorry, <laughs> listen, 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 listen. reflecting on this. Um, I would say podcasts have changed. So I wouldn't say a podcast. I'd say podcasts have changed my life. And I think there's a nice, I've got a really nice set of five or six work kind of geeky podcasts that I listen to. And I would say that they give me lots of um, fuel for kind of um, trying new things and picking up new things. So and a couple out there were just in terms of um, Brave New Work, which I really enjoy, and um, Leader Morphosis, which is really good. Um, uh, Adam Grant's kind of um, TEDx kind of podcast. There's loads of them. I know they're all, and I, I change for me, but I would say podcasts rather than, than books. And then I find authors, when they've been interviewed on podcasts, they give you the best bits of their book oh, often, so you know, in a, yeah. in a, in a kind of half hour chat, yeah. then you have to kind of go through that. And I enjoy going through the book. But it's like you can get the key takeaways in that half an hour conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's so many podcasts I've listened to with authors where I'm like, that wasn't in the book. That's so fascinating. (laughs) Why wasn't that bit in the book? Um, The best advice you've ever been given, Rob? Wow. (laughs) The best advice I've ever been given. Um, It changes every day. So I'm trying to think about there's always a couple of leaders that I've admired. Um, and one thing would be, if it goes wrong, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't really matter. And I think often when I'm doing things, because I'm so involved in the work that I'm doing, I bring high stakes to it. But the reality is the stuff that I'm doing, no one's going to die <laughs> if it goes, kind of goes wrong. And I think it's like, Sometimes also it can hold me back from doing experimenting, like the way I've said to you about because of organization taking some risks. So in terms of if it goes wrong, it doesn't really matter. And I think that can be really helpful to me to kind of um, to kind of navigate decisions and decision making. And it, and it's easy easier said than done. So I'm not saying I've I've got that nailed, <laughs> but I do often come back to kind of that that kind of that that that, that 
sentence. And uh, there's a guy called Tony Payne um, who kind of gave that to me. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely going to put that one on my post-it notes <laughs> above my desk because <laughs> I am exactly the same. I commit so much to it. I get so emotionally involved. <laughs> yeah. With the high stakes, I don't think it's helpful sometimes. It's good to have that level of commitment. Yeah. Um, that's what people would really value in you yeah. as, a, as a consultant. But it's at the same time, I think it can paralyze us. Yeah, well. 100%. Yeah, completely relate to that. One of your bucket list items, Rob, that you are yet to tick off. Oh, okay. Um, so one of the things that Claire and I, we had to, we're getting to an age now, my wife and I, we're thinking about what we're going to do in the, the future. What matters? We're talking about in holidays. So this is a reflection on holiday. what matters to us. And we're like, well, holidays matters. Those, those are great, aren't they? We see more of this. And one of the things that we, it's really central to me is around the, having a sense of adventure and doing adventurous things. And so we would love to, there's a trail that I can't remember the specific name, but now others will be able to remember it. That goes to the north to south tip of New Zealand. And we'd love to kind of, um, in our lifetime, to have completed that. Now, whether that's one in one go, like which will take months, or whether that's multiple visits to do it, but that's something that we're kind of like saying that's something that we would love to do. So that's definitely on, on the bucket list. And it will literally, the way we're talking about it, would be towards the end of the bucket list, I suppose. <laughs> but that's something we'd love to, love to do oh that sounds amazing new zealand's on my bucket list it really is it yeah. just looks such an incredible incredible place so yeah oh my gosh that's definitely given me some inspiration and um the last one is if you could create a placard for a public protest what would it be <laughs> so my probably today to think about so it's in terms of I'd probably say embrace our messiness, a human's messiness or something like that. So in terms of, and this comes back to organisationally rather than like a like broader society of political issues, like I think it's linked to it, is the fact we we expect everyone to act rationally and we expect ourselves to act rationally and we get frustrated when people don't do this. But the reality is we're all messy, we're all individual and it comes back to the centre of our, our hearts. And I think we need to design and embrace that messiness rather than kind of fight against it and i often feel as individuals as people we kind of we aren't curious enough about or embrace our messiness so we might probably embrace embrace our messiness um would be the thing that i would um put on my placard um, today. i love that amazing oh thank you so much Rob. i could have chatted to you for hours it's been such a joy um like i've said to the to the audience i will make sure that everything of where to find you is in the show notes including your amazing ted talk as well um because that's definitely worth watching everyone um so yeah thank you so much rob it's been oh thank you it's been really fun so thanks so, so much you've been listening to make it thrive the company culture podcast with me your host lizzie benton if you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture don't forget to subscribe thank you so much for listening and i look forward to welcoming you back next week